Welcome to the Boss Podcast. This podcast provides today's sellers with sales tactics that will help them to reach their goals. Your host, Mark McGinnis, brings you diverse guests, high-quality discussion, and valuable insights on every single show. Mark is the author of Tactical Pipeline Growth, as well as an in-demand sales trainer and coach for B2B companies all over the world. If you want to be better at outbound sales, you're definitely in the right place. Now let's get into the podcast. Welcome to the Boss Podcast. I'm Mark McGinnis, and thank you for listening. If you're interested in getting more replies to your outbound, if you're interested in landing more meetings, maybe you're just interested in finding something new to add to your prospecting or your sales toolkit, then this podcast means you're in the right place. In today's show, we hear from sales mindset expert and author, Shandel Navazetta. I've always been interested in the psychology of sales. And what I mean by that is, what makes people say yes or no? So this episode was particular of interest to me because Shandell is a master NLP trainer. NLP is neuro-linguistic programming. It helps us to understand how others, and those others of course include our buyers, make their decisions. Without doubt, this episode has the most generous giveaways that we've ever had on this podcast. So thank you to Shandell. In the show notes, you can access Shandell's entire audio book on confident closing, as well as a link to take a quiz that will help you understand how NLP impacts you and your own decision-making. Make sure you check those out in the show notes. In fact, stop this now, go and get those, and then come back. I really don't want you to miss out. Speaking of missing out, are you missing out on my VIP sales mailer? Every two weeks, I send a short email to my VIP followers and connections of the very best sales tactics, sales articles, events, and sales ideas that I've found over that two-week period. Currently, we have well over a 1,000 subscribers and it's growing. If you'd like to get in on the action, simply go to my LinkedIn profile and you'll find the sign-up link in my About section and my Featured section. It's really easy to find. So join us. I'd love to have you in the group. Now, let's jump in and hear from Shandell and learn all about NLP. Shandell, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Mark. It's really wonderful to be here with you. I'm so looking forward to our chat. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I'm really looking forward to the conversation today. It's a great topic, but let's just share a little bit about you. So looking at your LinkedIn profile, you're an author, speaker, trainer, and master in NLP which is what we're going to be talking about today. So that's why I'm so excited. And you've got a business called Life Puzzle. That's a pretty interesting name. Great to have you on the show. Have I missed anything there? No, not at all. Not at all. I, I was just going to say that, you know, sometimes people ask us, you know, why do we call it Life Puzzle? You know, when we're doing leadership training and sales training and all sorts of things. And, you know, one of the things that I'm solid believer in is, is that, you know, sales is the number one life skill. And I think that there's a few important sales that we make. The first one is the sale we make to ourselves about our worth and our value. The second one is the sale we make when we're convincing other people about our ideas. And for any parents listening, they know that, you know, convince kids to do their homework or go to bed. That's a sale in itself. <laughs> and then there's, of course, the transactional sale that we're all familiar with where we sell our products and services and, and consulting for, you know, in exchange of currency or, or value. And so we work a lot with bringing the mind and also the strategies and the tactics together. And one of the tools we use is neuro-linguistic programming, as you mentioned before. 
Uh, yeah, I'm genuinely interested in, in NLP. But I like what you said there about the first sale that we make is to ourselves because I think a lot of people still miss that today. You know, that's been around a long time. You know, what's your thoughts on that? I think that it's a common pitfall, you know, and we'll talk about this a little bit today in the context of there's lots of different tactics and there's lots of different things that we can do out there. And as you know, there's a, a huge element of psychology behind the way that we sell. And so I believe that it's an 80-20 kind of split where we've got 80% psychology, 20% tactics and strategy. And the metaphor or the analogy that I often use is that if I gave you the best cold calling script in the world, tried and tested to get results, it wouldn't really matter if the person that needed to make the cold call didn't have any confidence to pick up the phone because nobody would hear it. You know, their tactics and strategies are very important, but you also have to have the confidence and the belief in yourself and the courage to be able to, you know, sometimes have some of those more challenging conversations or to pick up the phone. Absolutely agree. And of course, for those listening would know that I'm all I'm the tactics guy, right? So the tactics don't get put into play unless someone's looking after their, their brain. So cool. Hundred percent. It's like on that too, that sometimes you can have people with lots and lots and lots of psychology and courage and passion and they sort of, you know, they throw darts in the air hoping that something will stick. They haven't got the tactics. And that's why I say I think that it's about bridging that gap, bringing those things together. The tactics are super important as well. Yeah. Before we jump into NLP, you've written a book. I haven't taken it. Confident Closing. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Can we still get it? Like, is it still, where is it? Absolutely. In fact, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to share a gift with your audience. We'll let them know how they can get access to an audio copy of the book. It is called Confident Closing, Sales Secrets That Grew a Business by 400% in Just Six Months and How They Can Work for You. And, you know, I have to tell you, Mike, that originally the title of the book was actually called Feeding Salt to Horses. We renamed it because we knew that from a marketing perspective, it might be a bit confusing if we have to explain what the book's about. But the premise is, is that we've all heard that saying that says, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Yet, if you feed it salt and you lead it to some water, it'll be thirsty and it'll drink of its own accord. And so Covenant Closing is all about how we bring, you know, what finding what is your salt that you feed to your prospects so that by the time you offer them the opportunity to engage with you, that, you know, they're just so thirsty that they do it because they want to, not because we're forcing them to. <laughs> yeah. You know, we used to have horses and we used to get them salt blocks. I'd forgotten about that. Wow, cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad you changed the name of the book because I don't think many people would have got that. So no, the, it doesn't yeah. work very well from a marketing perspective. <laughs> you have to explain what things about, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so look, I'm, I'm certainly going to get an audio copy of that. That's that's for sure. Is there hard copies still available? Can you buy Absolutely. it? Absolutely, yeah, 100%. And it's also available on Kindle. So you can collect it from Amazon, either hard copy if you prefer hard copy, or you can contact the office at lifepuzzle.com.au and let us know and we'll organize to get one out to you. Okay, cool. Okay, so that's great background. Love that. So let's get into NLP and like, let's assume that a lot of people aren't, I think most people probably would have heard people talk about it or see it somewhere. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Like give us a, a real background about what NLP is and why it's something we should be thinking about? Yeah, absolutely. NLP's been around since the early 70s. And for those of you that may not be as familiar with it, NLP is short for or the acronym for neurolinguistic programming. And so what it is simply is it's how we use the language of our mind in order to affect our results and our behavior. And so when we talk about the way in which we process our reality and human beings, we have a conscious mind, we have an unconscious mind, we have a critical faculty, which is the part of you that chooses to distinguish between you know, reality, fantasy, what's facts, what's data, how you are decisive, et cetera, or your critical thinking. And 
our unconscious mind or our subconscious mind, as most people are familiar with it, I call it unconscious because most people are unconscious of their subconscious. (laughs) Our unconscious mind, you know, we live 90% of our lives unconsciously and there's a lot of programming, there's a lot of behavior, there's a lot of emotional cues and things like that that are driven by the subconscious mind. And so by utilizing NLP, particularly in a sales process, it helps us to understand human behavior a little better. And I don't know, for some of the listeners out there, maybe even yourself, Mark, earlier in your career, you know, there would be some times where you go and have a conversation with someone who was super powerful and you got a great result. Then you took the same conversation, you did it with a different person and you found that you just got a completely different result and it didn't land. And you, you know, might have been left there scratching your head going, well, how come that didn't work? Because it worked brilliantly over there. And the main reason is, is that people are different. They have different cues and they have different ways of being able to interpret information and NLP helps us to determine that so that we can communicate with them as best as they're going to receive the information that suits their styles. Okay. Is your outreach getting you labeled as a spammer? What once worked in B2B outbound doesn't work anymore. The goalposts have moved and so must your approach to sales. Sure. You might land the odd conversation or even a reply to an odd cold email, but is it scalable? Will it provide you with enough revenue to hit your yearly goals? Having worked with sales teams all over the world, we see what works and what doesn't. Our new POW coaching program provides sellers with access to the very best training available today. It doesn't matter if you're a team of 50 or a team of one. We have flipped traditional sales training on its head and allow you to learn in your own time and still get the important coaching help that you need. Grab all the details at markmc.com slash pow. So is this a bit like personality selling? You know, like you have personalities and you sell differently and you have to communicate differently to each personality? Similar, and it falls into that family. So, you know, NLP got its roots from, you know, modeling a lot of really intelligent human behavioralists. You know, there's some adaptations from Freud. There's some adaptations from Milton Erickson, who was an amazing hypnotherapist, conversational hypnosis. Virginia Satia, who was a, you know, granddame in communication and family therapy. And so it's about understanding some of the cues in the body language, in the linguistics that we use, in the way that we filter our information, and of course, our personality preferences as well. Okay. So, not just to make it a bit more confusing. So I, I really like the theory behind ethical persuasion, mm-hmm. right? So, and you know, that the Robert Cialdini talks about the six and our seven principles of persuasion and, you know, they're, they're geographically sound and they're across all cultures, et cetera. Is this the same sort of thing or slightly different or is it just in that family, but different again? They're very similar in the same family with some slight adaptations and, and different ways of describing some of the filters. But I'm a big fan of Cialdini's work. I, I think that, you know, some of those things, when we when we understand some of those cues, it just makes such a huge difference. But I suppose if we if we take it up one level further, you know, one of the things that we know about people is that we we have emotions, and for many many years we have thought about business and our emotions as being quite separate. And so one of the things that we talk about at Life Puzzle is that you know because we have this subconscious mind and our conscious mind, and just to give a distinction to the listeners, our subconscious mind is kind of the domain of all the emotions, all the behavior, all the ways that we learn and the way that we create change. And we live about 90% of our lives unconsciously. And then we have our conscious mind, which is our logical, rational thinking brain. And we only live about 10% of our lives consciously. 
So I often distinguish the two as being the conscious mind is very much the goal setter. So it'll work out what do you want to create? Whereas the unconscious mind is the goal getter because all the behaviors that you do, whether it be communicating or working efficiently, et cetera, all those behaviors actually come from the subconscious mind. And so I'm sure you've heard it before where people say that, you know, we buy emotionally and then justify logically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, yeah. Does that fit into this into this mindset? So you hear everybody all the time saying people justify with, you know, they buy emotionally and then they justify it with logic. You know, like I needed to buy the red sports car because I needed to get to work quicker. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Although I think you'll have to come up with a bit of persuasion if you're talking to your partner <laughs> or your significant other. You know, this is exactly the case, Mark. You know, people will buy emotionally. They generally will make the decision to buy emotionally and something pulls at the heartstrings or some kind of need arises and people will generally make the decision to buy then. And when it comes to the point of what we call remorse, I'm sure you've heard before, you know, people can buy something sometimes and then they have remorse. It means that whatever logic that we've applied behind the decision to buy doesn't stack up against the needs from a logical perspective. But what I've found in the training that I've done, and also, you know, when I work professionally as a, a full-time BDE or, or account manager or sales manager, was that for a lot of people, because of that belief that, you know, there's no place for emotions in business, some people go into a sale and they're talking only logics and facts. And so, you know, here's why my product's better. Here's the features and benefits on why we're so good. This is how much experience we have. Here are all of the, all of the data, the spec or the data, the specs, you know, all those sorts of things. And so we're leaving 90% of the conversation off the table when we do that. And so we're also failing to actually connect with who's the individual on the other side of the table that has these needs that emotionally could potentially have an impact when they make that purchasing decision. Yeah, okay. And the reason why we do this 90-10 split, is that because like our neocortex just choose so much energy that if we were to run on 100% using our neocortex that we would basically be asleep all the time. And therefore, our brain looks for those pathways that it's made before to, to follow. You're like, I've made this decision 10 times. Door handle was my favorite, right? So you, no one thinks about how to use a door handle, right? They just walk up to the door handle and it works every time. But there's probably four or five different ways, you know, whether it's a lever or it's a round or a sliding door or whatever, but you don't think about it because you've made that decision so many times. Is that why this 90-20 thing exists to save processing power in our brain or is it something else? Well, look, there's definitely some roots in the brain science and the way that our brain processes information. And so Mikhail Chetsetmiai, who was an Austrian neurobiologist, he wrote the book Flow, a quite a great read for psychology and the way that we do our behavior for anybody who wants to take a look at it. But he established that we got 11 million bits of information coming into our brain in every single second. And out of those 11 million bits, we're only capable, I know, I know, it's overwhelming, isn't it? When you think about it, imagine I'm throwing 11 million toothpicks at you, right? Your room would be full in no time, just a matter of seconds. But what's most important about that, Mark, is that out of those 11 million bits, we're only capable of dealing with 126. So there's all this data that's coming into our neurology, but we can only grasp 126 bits. And so like the analogy that you used about the door frame, well, sorry, the door handle, it's very much that we are, you know, defaulting to things that we know or experiences that we've had because we filter those 11 million bits through the existing memories that we have, the learned behaviors, our values, our beliefs, the way we process our language. And we create a picture in our mind about what that means. That impacts how we feel, which impacts our physiology. And those three things together actually produce the behavior we respond with. So a lot of our behaviors 
are on autopilot. They're unconscious. It's kind of like, you know, you do what you've always done, you get what you've always got. And so if you keep doing the things that you've only ever done without interrupting patterns, then you continue to do those autopilot behaviors without actually thinking about it. And that's why 90% is unconscious because we can't physically process all the data that we're getting from a conscious perspective. Okay, got it. That makes perfect sense. Okay, so we've done the theory to death. So I think everybody's got that well done, very well on it. Good job on explaining that, Shondell. Thank you. Thank you. So how do we use this in sales? Salespeople listening, why should I care? How do I do this? So there's a couple of different reasons. And so, you know, for the listeners who perhaps maybe, you know, aren't familiar, I actually am a salesperson, have been across multiple different industries. And my curiosity to get into this field was because as salespeople, we're always looking for different tools on how we can relate better to people and understand what makes them tick and why does it work over there? Why doesn't it? And so my transition into this field on the pathway to becoming a master trainer of NLP was mostly about being fascinated by human behavior. And so most people who are in sales have an affiliation towards people and understanding them and understanding, you know, how we can interact with them in a better way. And most importantly, a term that's been, you know, done to death is rapport, right? And rapport is one of the foundational pieces of neuro-linguistic programming. And I don't particularly like to call it rapport. I like to call it building trust. And so as we know, you know, when we're in sales, when we have trust, the rest is just details. And so one of the things about NLP is that, one, we can learn how to build rapport with people much quicker through our nonverbal cues as well as our verbal cues, understanding what are some of their filters and their values, and also understanding what is their preference for communication. And I'd like to share a gift with your audience as well, Mark, if anybody's curious about, you know, how their communication might be killing their results through perhaps using the wrong time of communication for the wrong audience, then I'm going to encourage them to have a look and take the quiz. And then I've got some explanatory training that's complementary to your audience. So if they'd like to get that cue. And so what often happens is people will sell to everyone else the way that they like to be sold to. And that's part of that unconscious programming because we tend to think, or one of the prime directives of the unconscious mind is we think that everybody else is like us. And, and we get quite selfish in the way that we interpret the world. And I don't mean like selfish, I don't want to share my chocolate with you. I mean selfish, like self-involved in the sense, well, you know, because I think that must be what he or she was thinking. And so by looking at some of the techniques from NLP, we can start to get cues as to how people have those differing preferences in their communication and be more flexible in the way that we present our information to them so that they feel more comfortable. So it's a little bit like what I was talking about before with the feeding salt of horses, you know, what is the right salt for your horse so that that way you could present your value proposition in a way that people really connect with it. And of course, the other thing is about objection. I was going to ask you to try and pad that out into like detail. So for example, would that impact the way that we wrote an email message, for example? or 100%. Yeah. So, so Do you give an example of, of, yeah, of, of an NLP correct yeah, 100%. So there's a couple of different things. So as you know, we bring information into our neurology through our five senses. And there are some people that would have a preference for visual information. There are some people that prefer talking to somebody and hearing what that person has to say. There are other people who kind of need to walk through things or get a grasp on it, you know, from a kinesthetic perspective. And some people actually need some facts and data. So in a sales presentation, if I am a visual person and the person turns up who's auditory, they might just tell me about all the wonderful things. And this actually happened to me. It's one of the, the stories in my bookmark. Um, and I won't give the whole story because I know we're limited for time today. But at a high level, I, when I was being sold to by a person, they had 
auditory as being their main preference of communication for making decisions. And so they told me all about their program and gave me, you know, testimony, testimonials from other people, told me that I could call other people and talk to them about their experience. And I asked the lady, I said, it sounded great. I was ready to move forward, genuinely ready to move forward. So I asked her if she could just give me a one pager or a quick doc with like a couple of bullet points on the high level stuff we discussed. And then we could go ahead and fill out the contract and get started. She took that as an objection because I was looking for visual information, being a visual chunker or a visual preference. And she thought, well, that was a fob off or an objection. And so she never sent me the information. I couldn't activate my buying strategy and she lost a sale as a result of it. And so we make assumptions all the time about, you know, people's different preferences. And another example, so that's the difference between our five senses and the preferences that we have. And the second example, which ties into the email that you talked about, is the way that we use language. So people actually interpret language in various different ways. And one of the things that we know of humans is that they don't process negatives. So, you know, things like don't, not, won't, all of those sorts of things, we call them negation. So if I say, don't think of a blue tree, don't think of a blue tree, don't think of a blue tree, then probably thinking of a blue tree. <laughs> so often when we say don't, and one of the most common things that I've seen sales professionals and actually anyone who sends emails, often they sign off emails and say, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact me. And so what happens is the don't gets crossed out and we're actually saying to people, if you have any questions, please hesitate to contact me. <laughs> That's how the brain interprets that. So I often say to sales professionals that go through some of the NLP programs or some of our sales trainings, they say, you know, say it the way that you want it. What, like, I'm sure that your intention is that if you have questions, please reach out to me. So say that instead. Say, you know, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out and give me a call or send me an email. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. I've been making a mistake forever. Okay. I was guilty of that too before I learned about language. So for sure. Yeah. Okay. So going back to that example that you shared around, you know, the way that you buy and the one pager. Yes. How do we know who's who's who? Do you know what I mean? Like, how do we figure that out? Yeah. So like I mentioned before, if anyone who's listening wants to take that preference test, but I do understand that there's a limitation because, you know, this is what I used to say in my training. So you're not going to walk up to your prospect and say, excuse me, Mr. Client, are you going to take this preference test so I can figure out how to sell to you? <laughs> We're just definitely not going to do that. So there are ways you can do it formally with quizzes and things like that, but it, there's actually a lot of different cues in the way that people behave. And I do have these outlined in the book, so I do encourage everybody to go and grab a copy of the book. One of the things is that there are certain characteristics. So, for example, someone who's a visual preference person in their natural uh, their natural style, they might talk quite quickly, or you'll notice that their eyes move up a lot because they're accessing visual parts of their cortex. There's different areas where they might have a posture in a certain way or they breathe into a certain area. And so we can tell from some of their behaviors which of their preferences they are. For example, a kinesthetic preference person might move a little slower or they might speak a little slower or they might breathe really deeply into, you know, into their diaphragm as opposed to, you know, high up in their chest. So there are certain cues in people's behaviors that we can actually get these tip-offs. And I'll actually just share a quick example of how much of an impact this can have but, you know, let's, let's think about someone who might be doing a lot of cold calling, right? I know that there are a few people out there that, like myself, don't mind a little cold calling. I know there's a lot of people who don't like it, but, you know, we do have to pick up the phone. So one of the things that when I was coaching or leading, I was a sales manager for a particular team and I had a staff member who was making a lot of cold calls. And so she had a terrible strike rate when I first started working with her. Out of every hundred calls, 
she'd get about 15 appointments. And the audience that she was calling was typically just, you know, and I I don't want to stereotype too much because obviously different people have different ways, but the audience that she was calling was typically either kinesthetic or what we call auditory digital. And so some of these cues and tip-offs was that they would often answer the phone with a very low gravelly tone of voice. They'd often talk very slowly. They needed time to process information. And this particular lady was very friendly, very outgoing, very loud, very fast. And so she'd ring up and she's like, hi, and people would often hang up on her because they were so overwhelmed by the speed and the pace of her tonality. And so I asked her to slow it right down to the point that it almost felt infuriating to her. And she didn't change anything about her script, only a tone of voice and also the speed at which she delivered. By doing that, she was able to get better nonverbal rapport with these people. And in the space of two to three weeks, her closing ratio for appointments went from 15 out of 100 to 85 out of 100. So, you know, when we know people's preferences for communication, we can adapt our style so that they feel more comfortable. When they feel more comfortable, generally there's less resistance and less resistance is less objections. And often, you know, you get to a deal a lot faster. Okay. So, no, I might be barking up the wrong tree. So if I'm asking the wrong question, feel free to be straight. So would it be likely that people in the same roles would be attracted? People would have the same style. So what I'm thinking about now is like, you know, the description you use there made me think about senior IT people. Yes. So they're all pretty much under 50, you know, 30 to 50, mostly males, and they've got a certain personality type. Would they all have us be likely to have a similar preference or, or is it different to, to that? It's so funny that you say that. We're at LifePods, one of our longest standing clients is a technology company. And so, you know, we work with the whole company, both engineers as well as sales professionals, as well as project leads, the managing director, the CEO, the, well, everyone in the company we work with. And one of the things that we did early on in the piece was we actually got everybody to do the preference test. And what we found was that most of the people who worked with the company and had things to do with IT had an auditory preference and their backup representation was and ADs, which is self-talk, so a lot of internal dialogue. And so always we used to make a joke, the CEO used to make a joke with me, and he'd say, you know, when Shondell comes to do training and she draws on the whiteboard or the flip chart, that's really just for her because no one else cares about the picture. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe that was true. That was your way of... It really was. You know, most of them were interested in what I had to say, and the pictures were for me to cap up my pace and leave myself being mostly visual. So, Yeah. (laughs) Now, did you know a product or a software product called Crystal Nose? Yes, I do actually, yes. Is that helpful in this regard? In that sense, one of the things that I've I've noticed from using Crystal Nose is that most of the time what it's identifying is more of your disk profiling. And so in the disk, you can find some correlations to preferences. However, it's not a a like-for-like. It wouldn't map across as closely as perhaps maybe, you know, tuning into some of those cues. And and really, Mark, what we're looking for, and, and this is one of the things that I talk about in the book, you know, the most uh, successful sales professionals or business owners or even like, you know, humans in their expert area of expertise are most flexible in their behavior. So the idea is that you want to actually strengthen your weak area. So when I first started learning about NLP, I was very good at being able to communicate with people who had a visual or an auditory preference because they were similar to me. What I had to learn and put a little bit of ed- emphasis and, and uh, energy into was learning a little bit more around how to be more adaptable when I was meeting with people who might have had a kinesthetic or an auditory digital preference because that was something that was not my second nature. So 
what you really want to do or what the listeners really want to do is to start to strengthen the way of communicating with the preferences that are perhaps not your, your forte or your strength. So you want to be able to have flexibility across all the different types. And then that gives you more adaptability depending on who's in front of you. Okay. So what is a play of work on your weaknesses to even it out rather than working or just playing to your strengths? I mean, I think that it depends on who your audience is. So if we think about sales professional that I was leading in that team, her audience was very much categorized, you know, consistently in that K and AD kind of quadrant. And so if she wasn't flexible and didn't develop that area of weakness for herself, she probably would have still got, you know, rubbishy sort of results. So it doesn't mean that when she came across, you know, someone who was more like her, that, you know, she could have good results because, you know, that's that, that's that natural rapport that happens. And I'm sure we've all had it where we meet someone that's like us and we go, oh, you know, it feels like I've known you forever, you know, and we only just met. And that's mostly because, you know, you're picking up on the cues that that person's like you. So it just depends on what your goals and your ambitions are. If you're working with an audience that has a preference that's different from yours and you have to learn how to get great results in that audience, then definitely you want to work on those weaknesses. Or you may choose, hey, I've got a choice. I can target this market over here, which are people who are much more like me and have my preferences. Then, you know, I can narrow down on that niche. Yeah. This is another great reason why you should be segmenting by verticals and not selling to financial services one day, uh, you know, IT the next, health the next, you know, like get those verticals, figure out who your target market is and split them into verticals so that your communication styles don't need to flip from one to the other. I mean, it must be hard on our brains to go from one to the other. Whereas if you can think, okay, I'm just going to be talking to IT professionals for the next two weeks, they're likely to be responding this way. Yes. It's going to make it much easier for us as salespeople. You know, I still see so many people flipping, you know, all over the place. You're making it hard for yourself. I'm 100% with you in terms of the niching conversation. I see people doing it really tough trying to, you know, develop 15 different types of pitches for different audiences. I'm like, why are you making your life so hard? (laughs) Yeah, look, okay, so this is really cool. So I've really enjoyed this. People want to get started. What's the best thing for them to do? Is it to do your quiz? Is that? Yeah, look, definitely. Look, I'd highly recommend that they go along. I'll provide the link so that you can pop it in the show notes. And so they can go and do the quiz. There's a short 25-minute training after that that gives some more explanation so that you know what to do with the information once you have the quiz. And for those of you that might be curious about learning, you know, how to adapt or deepen some of these skills, then there's some really valuable information in the book. So you can learn some of the different words people use when they've got these different preferences, which can affect not only your pitch, but also maybe some of the emails you're sending through, the marketing that you're putting out there to support getting more appointments and more sales. So I highly encourage you to take a deeper look. Okay. So that sounds pretty good. So you're going to give us access to our own little quiz yes, uh, for free. Thank you very much. And a link, which I'll put in the show notes. And then in the show notes, also put a link to get access to the audio part of the book. Is that correct? Amazing. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Very generous. Thank you very much. So how can we pay you back? Do you want us to follow you on LinkedIn, Twitter? Like, is there some sort of social media we can interact with you? What if people read the book and, and want to hire you? Where do we go from here? Wonderful. Look, you know, as per all organizations, we have a, a website where there's lots of different ways that you can get in touch with us. And we have different programs for, you know, different areas that you might be in, depending on what kind of sales you're doing. So in addition to that, I'm often putting out a lot of content and, uh, you know, information that will help you along the way through LinkedIn. So you can definitely follow me on LinkedIn. And the one other thing that we have, if you're a little bit curious about NLP and sales, but you're not quite sure whether or not you're ready to actually undertake some training with us, but you'd kind of like to 
get a little bit more of a finger on the pulse of what it's all about, I really encourage you to come and join us in our group on Facebook, which is the NLP Sales Mastery Academy. So I put out a lot of mini free trainings and information and stuff that people can, you know, get a taste and, and real tips and things that you can implement right away in that group. So I really encourage you to come and hang out in there for a while where we've got some, you know, great conversations and things like that. So that's how everybody can get in touch. That's fantastic. I'm really grateful on behalf of everybody else for you being so generous. Shanda, we didn't get to speak about objections, but I think that gives us an opportunity to ask you back if you come back on another day and we could talk about that. Would that I be okay? I would love to, Mark. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for being on the Boss Podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Have an amazing day, everyone. How would you like an electronic copy of Tactical Pipeline Growth sent directly to you for free? You see, I need a little help and I'm prepared to swap you for it. All you have to do is leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts as it would really help other listeners to find us and it helps us find more great guests in the future. And of course, the better the guests, the better the sales strategies will we get. The good news is it'll only take you about 60 seconds to do and you can probably access the review function directly from the device you're using right now to listen to us. I'd really appreciate it. Simply leave us a review and then screenshot that and send it to me either via DM on LinkedIn or directly through my email and I'll send you a copy of the book straight away. So that's it for this show. Catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening.